Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hello there, and welcome to my favorite program of the month. It's Parents Panel Day on Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. So after I get done with my usual introductory stuff, we will bring Sharon, Peter, and Susie on the line, and we'll um, have another Parents Panel program. Um, Always fun to interact with our Parents Panel members. But uh, let me do my intro thing so that we can get to that as quickly as possible. Um, Well, uh, even though this is Parents Panel Day, you should feel free to call in. That number, as you've already heard, 347-994-2981. If you have a question or comment for me or any other members of the panel, uh, do call 347-994-2981. Our Parents Panel members have... Uh, vast experience in living with a behaviorally challenging kid and um, some pretty vast experience in implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach. So uh, I'm not the only one who can be supportive to you on parent panel days. Uh, You can get support from any of us. So if you have a child at home who's not responding very well to Plan B or having, if you're having trouble with any part of doing Plan B or running into trouble getting the folks at school to use collaborative problem-solving or having difficulty getting your co-parent or the grandparents or the hockey coaches to buy in. Um, this program's for you. That's why we do this every week and the parents panel once a month. This is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. If calling in is not your style, you can always send a question electronically, as many people do through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. I'm delighted to have uh, Susie with us today. How are you, Susie? Good, thanks. How are you, Dr. Green? I am well, and we have Peter with us as well. How are you, Peter? I'm fine. How are you, Dr. Green? I'm well, and we have Sharon. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good. So, any of you have any, I always start the program by asking you all if you have anything on your mind. I have a topic for the day, but let's let's start with you all. Um, anything going on in, in your collaborative problem-solving territories right now, or things you've seen in the news that you want to talk about, or anything like that? Um, I guess I'll start. Um, I saw, I guess it was last week, in the, uh, are we allowed to mention the names of the papers that we've read? I think, 
I think that's perfectly fine. Okay, I thought so too. Um, in the New York Times, uh, the article was entitled, A Trip to These Principles May Mean a Paddling. And it's astonishing, but apparently in some of the southern schools, it is still perfectly acceptable if a child is in trouble with the school for some reason, he can receive a corporal punishment. And this has been going on for generations. Um, I was just stunned. And I um, am in the process of trying to research the... uh, the addresses, because I'd like to send some care packages to these people and try to help. You know, this is why we have Susie on the parents' panel. Not only is she raising a crucial issue, she's also advertising care packages. What's <laughs> better? Right. But I've got the article in. What's that? It's unbelievable. She's unbelievable. I, She's unbelievable. You know, this is, Thank you, Sharon. Um, <laughs> That's why we, Peter, we you, missed you Peter, so do you wanna... desperately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the article in front of me from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the headline I've got is Schools Under Pressure to Spare the Rod Forever. I think that this was the follow-up article to the article that you're referring to, Susie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually says that corporal punishment is still alive in 20 States, wow, which means that in 20 states, um, not all of them southern, in 20 states, um, if a student with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges does something that we wish he wouldn't do, then the potential answer to that is to hit him. Uh, Susie, why'd you raise that as a topic? Why did I raise that? I think it's just the antithesis of what um, the CPS model is all about and what possible good would hitting a child accomplish, what skills are being taught, what problems are being resolved. Um, it it just... Um, Everything that we've been learning and even, you know, research in the neurosciences over the past 30 years, it's just quite contrary to what I think I can speak safely, what we all believe in. Well, can I play devil's advocate briefly? Of course. And once again, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um what are, you, what are you talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems? The reason it's okay to hit a kid is because talking to him and telling him what he ought to be doing and milder forms of punishment haven't worked. So we've got to bring out the big wood to convince him that we know what's best and that we're the boss and we're not going to tolerate his behavior around here. And um, if that means hitting a kid to teach him a lesson, so be it. 
Um, it, the article starts out with an 11th grader was sent to the assistant principal's office uh, because he had skipped detention in his high school. See what I mean? Right. And hmm. see what I mean when I say you've got to rewind the tape, as you have so taught us, and find out what was, why was he in detention in the first place, and what skills, what is this kid missing, um, you know, using your tool, the ALSA, what, what skills is he missing out on in order to do well, because obviously he's not doing well, so something's getting in his way. She's good, man. <laughs> She's Absolutely. But you know what? It's, I, I think it's sad because, um, you know, we know and we've learned and we've seen that um, anger and, and violent behavior breeds anger and violent behavior. Uh, it becomes a pattern. A lot of kids that are abused become abusive parents themselves or abusive spouses. Um, if that's how you're taught to deal by using anger, then, you know, if anger is used on you, then you turn around and can use it on someone else. I mean, there's just so many alternatives when a child is, you know, we, as we know, when a child, like my child, when he was having difficulty in school, there's, there's a reason for it. Either he doesn't understand what's happening, he's overwhelmed, he's overstimulated, and these teachers and administrators need to learn and be trained to have tools to use, you know, different approaches to figure out, you know, what's going on with you, pull them out of the situation, try to turn that, you know, anger into something positive, you know, learn learn how to do it. I mean, we we've all been trained and, you know, continue to be trained on working with our children and, you know, here are people that are responsible for our kids and our future generation, and they need to have the tools. It should be essential that they have the tools to learn how to cope with children that have different learning styles and different behavioral styles. I mean, can I be, this is America. Can I be We're spending advocate. so much money on other stuff. Can, can I be devil's advocate just a little longer? Go ahead. Sharon, Sharon, <laughs> if, you get, yes. if you get caught speeding, don't you get a ticket? I would never speed. <laughs> yeah, I guess if one if one would speed, one would get a would have warning or a ticket. Okay. Yes. So so that's the real world, right? Yes. So is the officer going to say to you um uh, you're clearly lacking skills and have unsolved problems, so I need to not give you a ticket now, but just um, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, that doesn't happen in the real world. Why well, should it? Be? Sometimes, if you sometimes if you bat your eyelashes, you can get away with it. But no, you're right. It doesn't happen in the real world. All right. So there we have it. Uh, in the real world, there are consequences for our actions, and in the real world, um, they don't do this namby pamby collaborative problem solving stuff. Excuse me, may I just interrupt for one moment? Please. Um, 
we're talking about hitting the kid. And another important um, idea or problem that's been uh, raised over the past few years is, and we don't like the expression, but for lack of a better one right now, bullying. And so doesn't hitting a kid and and not and dealing with frustration and anger in a less than ideal way contribute to some of these problems? Can I can I come out of devil's advocate mode? Yes. Is that okay? Peter, you want to pitch in before I come out of devil's advocate mode? I think I think the point she was making is um, perhaps when you get a speeding ticket, you get a you get a natural consequence, but hitting a kid is not a natural consequence. There's it, there's a there's a lot more range of solutions than that, and just um, relying on the paddle is a very narrow solution. There's a much wider uh, and better choices that that uh, people could use to deal with the underlying issue. So I think I'll stay I in double advocate. I'm going to stay in devil's advocate mode. So what is it? Is it that you all have a problem with the piece of wood? I mean, do you guys, you guys okay with you guys against spanking too? In school, yes. At home, um, I'm not a hundred percent. I have spanked my young children when they run across the street, not to hurt them, but to try to make a little point. You know, um, and I regret doing it. So, yeah, probably yes. I am against spanking, and I would, and especially in school. I don't think a teacher or anyone has the right to, you know, touch your child unless they are endangering someone else and need to be, you know, restrained because they are endangering someone else. I'm going to stay in devil's advocate mode just a little longer. So because the parents won't discipline the kid at home, we have to discipline him at school. Why should we be deprived of the powerful options that are available to parents, especially when parents don't do their job? Well, how do they know the parents aren't doing their job? Isn't it obvious? No. I mean, nobody knows what goes on at people's houses. You can try, 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 but if you have a challenging child and they come out of their home into a situation where there's all sorts of different stimulation and different requirements and different things they have to deal with and the pressures of being in school and having to be quiet and having to study and perform and do what they're supposed to do, those additional burdens are are very difficult for challenging kids. So this is not about poor discipline at home? No. The demands at home are different than the ones at school. And we can't really do much about what's going on at home. Um, and, And discipline isn't really what the child needs. The child needs understanding and patience, and to be heard, and to help figure out what's getting in his way. Right, and to be taught a different method on how to channel 
that behavior into positive behavior. Mm-hmm. They need the positive okay. reinforcement. I'm going to come out of devil's advocate mode. I didn't, didn't really like really like being there. Um, my, my attitude is, it's time to stop hitting kids. And if we use backward motion, Susie's already said this. You know, the preference is to think in forward motion and ask ourselves, what skills is a student lacking? What unsolved problems is he having difficulty solving? And when we figure that out on the front end, then interventions that make sense become quite obvious. And interventions that don't make sense become obvious as well. But sometimes we're in the position of having to work backwards and say, given the intervention that was applied, hitting a kid on the butt with a piece of wood, what would that be expected to fix? And um, in my role as devil's advocate, I was kind of naming the things that it would be expected to fix. And here we come to sort of the great divide, because one thing's for certain. If we become persuaded that a child is lacking skills and has problems that he's having difficulty solving on his own, one thing becomes crystal clear. A piece of wood isn't going to fix that. I don't care what state you're in. And by the way, the research also tells us that wood is applied to the butts of children of color disproportionately. Um, so I'm having trouble thinking of anything that a piece of wood would fix. Um, I actually think we lose credibility when we hit kids, and, and Sharon, you said it as well, teach a kid to hit He's going to hit. So what this really comes down to is what Susie was talking about as well, and that is what we've learned about kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges over the last 30 to 40 years. Of all the things the research tells me is that this is not about socioeconomic status. This is not about being from a divorced family. This is frequently not about trauma. All of those might be risk factors, but... What the research tells me is that the biggest factor that differentiates behaviorally challenging kids from those who are not so challenging, it's that the behaviorally challenging ones are lacking skills. That's right. What's the famous expression that you always taught your kids when they were younger? Use your words. Some kids don't have them. Right. But remember, you know, if they were getting excited or if they were hitting or whatever, you try to say, you know, use your words, try to express yourself. And you're right, when they don't have it, they have to, you know, learn other methods to to calm themselves down. And it's our job as parents and it's educators' jobs as educators to be able to, be able to have the knowledge to know how to deal with these kids. They need to, you know, if they need to take, they need to take courses. They need to educate themselves. I mean, hitting is the easy way out. It's a chicken way out. And of course, as you know, and we all know, it doesn't solve any problem. So I got to do devil's advocate one more time just to refute the notion that it's easy. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. This is going to hurt me a lot worse than it hurts you. But I got to do it for your own good. 
those are things that are usually said by people who are about to hit kids on the butt with a piece of wood. Well, then the kid should get the wood and smack them on the butt. <laughs> See, that's true. <laughs> Sharon, this is a violence-free program. Okay. But you know, if you say that, it, they should just be turning over as well. <laughs> we do not advocate kids hitting adults on this program, but one thing for certain, we don't advocate adults hitting kids on this program either. Susie, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, this particular kid, see, I put hitting kids in the same category as I put throwing them in a padded room. Mm-hmm. Um, you all have probably seen the comic in the comic relief section of the Lives in the Balance website um, this month. There's another one coming next month, believe it or not, of a kid being paddled. And, you know, people are... People are clever. We've gotten some pretty funny captions to the extremely unfunny situation of a kid being restrained in a quiet room. Um, But next month is going to be a kid who's over the principal's knee, um, and we'll see what kind of pithy, humorous responses we get to that extremely unfunny situation, and I'm actually going to be writing about hitting kids in the real world section when I can finally finish it that will be posted sometime in April, Um, but I put hitting kids in the same category as restraining them, um, putting them in a padded room, Uh, same category. It's, in my opinion, dehumanizing kids and treating them in ways in which none of us would be okay being treated, even if it's true that when you get pulled over for speeding, for speeding, you might get a ticket. And Dr. Green, I'm just quoting the article, the blows to the particular um, child were so severe that they caused deep bruises and the kid wound up in the hospital. I mean, that's not even, I, I'm not um, rationalizing hitting or paddling or whatever, can you imagine? So here's uh, some other statistics from the same article. Uh, according to estimates by the Federal Department of Education, uh, 223,000 children were subjected to corporal punishment in the 2005-2006 school year. And although that is a 20% drop from a few years earlier, that's still 223,000 kids. Um just so that we don't demonize any particular state. Uh, in Texas, which is what the story was about, uh, 27 of about 1,000 school districts still use corporal punishment, so that tells us that um, most don't, so we don't want to demonize uh, anybody. But we also have an interesting quote from a former math teacher in Houston saying, hitting children in our schools with boards is child abuse, and it promotes child abuse at home. And um, I agree. Hitting kids is child abuse. Kudos, by the way, to New Mexico, which recently um, uh, the legislators approved a paddling ban. The governor uh, has indicated has not indicated whether she will sign the bill or not. Um, wow. Big wow. Good for New Mexico. Wow. Also probably uh, underreported. Here's a state senator from Las Cruces who is saying um, – 
it's shocking to me that people argued passionately to preserve corporal punishment. We should be educating kids that they can't solve problems with violence. Um, wow. Any other comments on this before we uh, leave hitting kids with wood? Uh, let me ask our other panelists, uh, Peter and uh, Sharon, it's okay if you don't, if if you all have any um, hot topics for today's program, although Susie gave us a hot one. Either of you have anything on your mind that you've come across lately or in your own efforts to implement Plan B? Not we really. Have, <laughs> we've had a really difficult month ourselves. Have you? Um, not, yeah, it's um, it's uh, uh, two things. Um, my my father-in-law passed away oh, during March sorry. break, oh, and and my my uh, older son was very close to him. Uh, he's having a hard time with the loss, and um, we're of um, my my kids uh, are actually. They are they're half Japanese. They they speak Japanese, and and they're also quite affected by the uh, tsunami in Japan. And they they feel very anxious about their safety. Um, we live it, it, landlocked, but uh, they're they're quite worried about being swept away by a tsunami. Wow. Um, their family in Japan, the extended family, are all safe in the western part, but uh, they they understand that there's a a nuclear reactor that's not doing well, and th- th- there might be the need for them to evacuate at some point, and w- we might have to have them here. And so um, very tough. And of course, the tsunami was only the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Hard to imagine what people over there are going through. I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's extremely hard to imagine just how. Um, and yet, what we're reading in the newspaper, and who who knows the degree to which the newspapers are accurately reflecting what's going on over there, but people seem to be pulling together. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a very scary situation, and kids. Um, even if kids, like as you said, your ch- your children um, are half Japanese. Even children that don't have ties to Japan, I think, see these pictures and internalize their fears. Wouldn't you think, Dr. Green? When they see I these do. disasters, I think it can happen to us. And uh, my younger son, who was born in Mississippi, after Katrina hit, and he saw that the area that he was born, you know, right next to Biloxi, was sort of wiped out, you know, he immediately thought, you know, terrible things. He was very, very saddened by it. Very scary. Yeah, I think some kids are more vulnerable to being worried about these things than others. Um, well, it's thrown it's, in our faces by the media, you know, the pictures. Well, you know, it's, the, uh, it's what's going so on. Troubling. So, you know, but, you know, years ago, things weren't brought to you like they are now. That's so, true. Click on a computer or just put on the news, and you just see the way that tsunami just picked cars up and went over roofs, and it's just so yeah. devastating. You just 
see the angst on the people's faces and you're just your heart breaks for them and it's in our faces all the time so it's sort of hard to you know protect your children well and you know what um one of the things I'll say about life it does throw curveballs at you now I would say a tsunami is about as big a curveball as it can get a tsunami followed by a uh, nuclear power plant um near meltdown is a double whammy of massive curveballs. Um, one of my two children is much more um, attuned to things that he or she should worry about than the other. And we were in Washington State um, about a week after the tsunami, and uh, my son was extreme. I just gave it away, didn't I? My uh, son was extremely concerned um, wanted to know if the radiation was going to make it over to Washington. And there's the interesting thing about our global community. You have a nuclear issue, we're all going to be affected by it. Um, but he also wanted to know um, if there were earthquakes in Washington. And um, I didn't, you know, I, I knew that Washington and, and the Vancouver area sit on um, a major fault line but I didn't really do any investigation of it until about two hours before we were supposed to leave on an airplane and um, looked it up, and um, boy, there's all kinds of different parts of the world, but Seattle, Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, among them, that are anticipating major earthquakes and potentially resulting tsunamis. And so um, Japan happens to be in an area that is sort of earthquake city. Um, They have them all the time. But um, there are major earthquakes due, and I'm I'm sorry to report this. I haven't told my son this yet, but Boston is due. Um, lots of places are due. There's middle parts of the United States where you never think about earthquakes uh, that are due. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Protecting kids is interesting, but, um, you know, lots of people live in places where there's high risk of something bad happening. True. By the way, we have an Peter, Peter. We wish your family, of course, the best. Thank you. Uh, Here's, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just. It was. Um, I think the hardest thing he, he had to face was um, just the daily visits to the hospital. The my, my um, father-in-law passed away in. Mm. He had a heart attack, but we we, we would. It was very uncertain what was happening and we were we were at the hospital for eight or nine hours every day and it was just very difficult for them to know what to expect next and he just he had a lot of trouble with that they they did extremely extremely well uh for the the hospital visits they did extremely well during the uh, the funeral um but i think they're they're back to their world now and it, it's just hard for them to know what to expect next. Yes. Just the well, pace and, you of know, life has changed so much. Yes. And mortality is something that kids of different ages are sometimes uh, better able to face, whether it's finding your first dead bird or having a close relative pass away. Um, it's uh, part of life, but uh, different kids are able to get perspective on that more easily or with more difficulty 
than others. And um, they, they let us know that they're having difficulty. So that's um, that's the good part. They usually do let us know. But it tells us that you know one of the hardest things sometimes to explain to a kid is mortality. Mm. So um, we wish your family and Japan the best and we wish you the best and keep us posted on how things are going with your son and as they mourn the loss of somebody close to them. Thank you. Well, we do have an email from someone who's commenting on our first topic today. Um, He or she is making some interesting points. It says, I don't prepare my children for the real-world situation of famine by starving them. Hey, let's practice hunger, guys. I prepare them by teaching them to cope. A lesson on foraging would go further than the misery of useless hunger. And violence teaches violence and fear. I can't get other parents who are upset with teachers' approaches to speak out here because they, too, grew up fearing the bullies. That's an interesting point. You mean it's not just kids who sometimes bully people? My children have begun playing out violent scenarios from school. They're trying on disciplining each other as they see teachers disciplining others. No, this is not acceptable. Thank you to our uh, emailer for those thoughts. Uh, um, no, I don't t- teach my kids. Um, well, if we were to really go further, um, we don't teach kids how to mourn by killing something unnecessarily. Lots of examples of how we have to teach kids how to cope. Um isn't it amazing, though, that the kids are playing out violent scenarios from school? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, you know, sometimes I, I've talked to kids who've been on inpatient psychiatry units who didn't get restrained and who didn't get thrown into the padded room. And some of them were just as traumatized as some of the kids who were restrained and thrown into the padded room because they were fearful that if they stepped out of line, the same thing would happen to them. Um, You don't have to be the kid on the receiving end of wood to be traumatized by a kid being on the receiving end of wood. It's not a good lesson for the kid who's on the receiving end, and it's not a good lesson for anybody else. Mm-hmm. So what do we I'm, – I'm going to skip the topic I was going to start with today. We'll save it for next month's parent panel. And I'm sorry to report that next month's parents panel is our last until the summer. We do take the summer off on collaborative problem solving at school, so we – only have the May parents panel left until we start up again in September. Uh, And there has been some discussion of uh, increasing the number of times that we have the parents panel each month. So heads up to our parents panel. You you may be, you're you're serving wonderfully now, but you may be asked to ramp it up even further. My bet is that all of you are probably okay with that. It would be a pleasure. I'm just getting lots 
of feedback um, in my travels these days from people who are getting just a lot out of these programs, but especially loving the panels that we have. We have our educator panel the first Monday of every month as well, and um, also a great bunch of people who get together to talk about this stuff. L- let me ask you this, though. what As long as we're on the topic, what do you say to a kid to try to explain why adults sometimes do things that makes no sense whatsoever? How do you explain to a kid why Johnny is being paddled at school? Why adults are behaving in ways that suggest that they don't know what they don't know? Any thoughts on that from our panel? I I find the whole thing so... um extraordinarily unbelievable that I just can't even imagine having to explain something like that to my child if he you know has to witness it at school or to see something like that um and I don't know how you, you I mean how are you supposed to justify it you can, you can't support what the you know administrator is doing because if you don't if you don't believe in it so you can't say, well, they need to do this. Um, you can, you maybe can just say they don't know any better. They need to, you know, you don't believe in it. You don't think it's a good thing, and you know they need to come up with other ways. I mean, how else would you explain that to a child? I just, I don't know. I'm lucky that I live in an area where, you know, the teacher would be arrested. And, and hauled out in handcuffs, I think, if that happened. Susie, Peter, um, how do you explain this to a kid? I think, well, just going back to this article that we were both referring to, the uh, president of the student body of, of one of the schools uh, gave the following statement that it's a tradition for the school, and it's how the school's been run for 60 years. I think Sharon's exactly right. It's that kind of behavior is really just based on ignorance and not the grown-up, the adults don't know what to do with the problem, and that's what they were raised on. So it, quote-unquote, worked for them. Um, but until we start spreading the word even more and educating parents and teachers and schools and, um, you know, restrictive therapeutic facilities, until we show them there's a different and better way to help the children... Um, unfortunately, we still see some um, less than ideal ways of working with these children. The good news is that it is progress that it has entered our consciousness and progress that it has begun being part of the natural national conversation that's the beginning 
Um, and uh, I'm hoping that people will look to Lives in the Balance because Lives in the Balance certainly intends to play this role to um, uh, be among the many different groups that are leading the charge to advocate for kids to be treated in ways that are much more compassionate and uh, humane and effective. Believe it or not, and it's it's late in the program, but we're going to try this anyways, we do have a caller. Oh, great. So we're going to bring our caller on the air. Unfortunately, I only noticed it in t- right at, at this point, and so let's let's see if we can help the caller out in the brief time that we have left. Uh, you're caller, you're, you're on the air. Hello? Well, we're going to assume that the caller... One last chance. Caller, did you have something that you wanted to add to the program? From area code 617? We will conclude that the answer is no. All that excitement, but no. <laughs> Any um, further comments on this before we uh, call it a day? Um, sure. One of the things Lives in the Balance is doing, by the way, is sending care packages to superintendents in Texas who think it's a good idea to write kids tickets uh, that have fines attached to them for misbehaving at school. Mm. They've received care packages from Lives in the Balance. Um, So Lives in the Balance is not here to keep a seat warm, um, but to make it happen. Um, No time like the present. And uh, as that famous saying goes, um, if not now, when? Peter, did you have something you wanted to add? It it occurred to me that... um we had a little bit of trouble responding to your devil's advocate um, approach because um, so much really depends on that first premise of kids do well when they can. Yes. And and we really um, we really weren't expecting um, in this forum to be presented with a the proposition that kids can't do well when kids um, do well do well only if they, when they want to. Right, Only if right. they want to. So that really, uh, I think, caught us all off by uh, we were not prepared for that. But well, we like to keep the sh- program interesting, <laughs> eh? And I think that <laughs> that's really the uh, the the crux of it. Uh, I, it it's really uh, amazing how much so much flows from that. Um, if they the paddling only makes sense if you have that the premise that they do only well if they want to, and it just it's all congruent with that. But if if you're on the side that they do well um, when they can, then it makes absolutely no sense. It's just a, there's a there's a dividing line, and and I guess people can pick what side they want to be on. But I, I sure know what side I want to be on. And and it, well, and I go ahead. Sorry. I, I just to answer your previous question, if it was my son um, being in a school where he's faced with these these questions that I I think I would use that approach to try to explain to him that the the kids are trying to do all what they can and I guess so are the parents or the the teacher they're trying to do what they can but they don't have they don't have the understanding and and um and maybe this is an opportunity to try to change that crucial to get the we, information out there yeah and then we can crucial. see what what benefits can flow from from changing that initial first question. Yep. So for our listeners to this program, if you're interested in helping Lives in the Balance make some of these things happen, you want to sign up for Action Plan B, 
the Lives in the Balance newsletter. Another was going, one is going out in the next week or so, um, so that we can keep you in the loop about how to um, help out and advocate in your communities and keep us appraised of what's going on in your communities that isn't okay so we can potentially take some action. I want to thank Susie and Peter and Sharon for once again participating in today's program. Susie, thank you for bringing this topic up today. We thank need you, to call Dr. It a day for today. And I look forward to being with you all again next week. Uh, Thanks, for those Dr. Of you Green. Who are listening, thank you. You bet. Thank uh, you. Collaborative Problem Solving at School will be back I hope we'll be back on the air again next week, unfortunately without our panel members, but um, I'll be back answering emails and phone calls. Um, have a good week. Thanks for listening.